Well, good morning. Welcome. It's great to see you here and uh, this spectacular weather this weekend. I hope you're enjoying the weekend. And, uh, and special thanks to uh, Hans for letting us just share part of his story and hear his story and participate in his baptism. You know, once in a while, I need other people to remind me that God is real and that he's at work in the world. And when I when I stand or sit and watch a baptism story and the act of baptism, it has that impact on my life. So I hope it's a blessing for you as well. Our theme this morning is brokenness, the unanticipated road to power and honor. And we're going to look at a tool that God has in his toolbox and how he uses it in our life and what happens if we resist the use of that tool and what happens if we submit to the use of that tool. Brokenness, the unanticipated road to power and honor. Let's look at some scriptures from the Psalms to begin with. Psalm 51, this was a psalm written by David. He wrote this psalm after he had made a series of choices that had catastrophic results. And so then David writes, You do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Then from Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And then Psalm 147, 3, he heals the brokenhearted. After watching and participating in the lives of people for about 40 years, here is something that continues to puzzle me. Many people so live their lives as to make a junkyard of their old age. By the time they reach 50 or so, their lives are cluttered with broken relationships or ruined prospects or opportunities that have been destroyed. The landscape of their life looks like the craters of a war zone where avoidable mistakes have been detonated again and again. Eventually there is a list of offenses and bitternesses. Closed doors pile up. If the marriage isn't destroyed, it's certainly diminished. Relationships have been severed. Children are grieved and broken in their own spirit. And employers are shaking their heads and say, this could have all been avoided. Yet for the one, the way forward is about resistance, control, pushback. They say, I will bend the world to my perspective. And if the world does not bend, then I will fight and blame or flee and blame, but I will certainly blame. Yet the scriptures tell us that reproofs are the way of life. That reproofs are the way of life. A reproof is when the Lord uses a circumstance, a consequence, a truth, or a person to rebuke a behavior or an attitude that I persistently carry. Could I repeat that for us? A reproof is when the Lord uses circumstances, consequences, truth, or people to rebuke a behavior or attitude 
that I possess and repeatedly demonstrate. But if I will not bend to the reproof, then the, the reproof will simply show up at another place and another time, and it will show up again and again and again and again. The hound of heaven will not relent no matter how much pain piles up internally or for those around me. I know of a man, the story I'm going to tell you now could be a story repeated a hundred times over. A man who was successful in this enterprise, this kind of enterprise, not someone from from here at all. But he was skilled in many areas. And the enterprise of the kingdom grew under his leadership. And then he reached a ceiling because this is what happens in our lives. I might be here and my weaknesses aren't exposed here. But I'm part of a growing enterprise and now it's here. But the thing that didn't matter here matters here. And my weakness gets exposed and I must tend to it. And if I tend to it, I can function here. But if I'm successful, I grow to here. And a weakness that was not exposed here suddenly gets exposed here. I may have a weakness in my life that really doesn't matter that much as a single person. But it is, it, it is exposed when I get married. And I must tend to it if I do not want to diminish or destroy that relationship. And I may have a weakness that doesn't matter that much in marriage. But once I have children and I'm a parent, it gets exposed as a child, as a parent of children. And so that's part of the growth process. So this man had been successful. But now he had reached a ceiling. And a glaring weakness in his life became exposed. Others whose lives had been impacted and blessed, wanted to rally around him and help him. But we all develop ways of navigating life. And if the way I've navigated life has worked up to now, then why change? And so there was resistance and pushback and control and heels dug in. This life that had been going like this expanding and expanding started to go like this because of that resistance that refusal to have a broken spirit in a given arena of life that man entered into a decade of reproof and rebuke and failure and humiliation and it could have all been so easily taken care of. Reproofs are the way of life. Often a person will admit to their weakness, but they will not admit to the amount of damage it does to their life or the amount of damage it does to other people. point of reproofs is God's grace to lift my weakness, my failure to a visible level so that the Lord can just heal it or wipe it away so that it no longer stands in the road of the things I care most about. 
So we're going to look at three aspects of brokenness, this tool that God uses, and see how we can apply it to our own lives for different seasons in our life. Here's the first one. What is brokenness and why does it matter? Brokenness begins when I understand and accept that my perspectives and my resources alone are inadequate for the challenges and responsibilities that I carry. It seldom comes without a season of discontent or loss. It often challenges my preconceived notions. A man once went to a spiritual leader because he wanted some new insight. The spiritual leader listened to him for a while and then asked if he'd like to stay for tea. The man sat down for tea. The spiritual leader took a cup and he began to pour tea in, into it. And as the cup filled, he just kept pouring until the tea was overflowing. Finally, the guest said, stop, it's, it's overflowing, the cup is full. And the spiritual leader said, yes. And so are you full of your own ideas, your own perspectives, and your own resources. And until you empty your cup, you have no space for new insight or new spiritual information. Now, it's hard. There's a number of reasons why it's difficult for us to see the difference between what is happening to me, inviting me to brokenness, and what is just part of the normal troubles of a fallen world and everybody has problems. Here's one of the reasons it's hard. The Bible says, I see through a glass darkly. I don't see very clearly to start with. And so I certainly don't see some of my own limitations and the flaws of my own perspectives. Eve, in the Garden of Eden, decided to separate herself from the Father and His loving insight. And so now she looked at the fruit, and the Bible says she evaluated it. Evaluated it on the basis of her own skill. And she saw that it looked good. She saw that it was something that would be nutritious to eat. She saw that it would make her wise. Her insight and perspective Deeply flawed as it was, and yet she seemed blind to the disaster that was about to befall her. Here's another reason why we have trouble seeing our weaknesses and our flaws that sometimes do so much damage. It'd be one thing if all my strengths were on a list here, and my weaknesses were on a list here, so I could just see what they were and work on them. But often... My weaknesses are actually part of my strengths. And how do I see them? And how do I peel that weakness away without destroying a strength that I have? For example, my wife uh, for some years was an EMT, emergency medical technician. She drove an ambulance. And uh, typically, EMTs have a particular personality set. And one of the features of that personality set is the ability to discount data. In their training, they talk about ABC. ABC is airwaves, breathing, circulation. So somebody drops, drops to the carpet in the living room, the loved one calls 911, fearing a heart attack, the ambulance is dispatched, the ambulance personnel, the EMTs show up, burst into the room, ABC. 
And you or I, our lives may be saved because they discount all the other data. I am not so wired. Had I been called, I would have brought my legal pad. I make lists. I would have shown up at the house. I would not only have noticed somebody laying on the carpet, I would have noted the color of the carpet. I might have noted whether the lawn had been recently mowed or whether the lilacs were still in bloom. And after I had made my extensive list, checked off all the things that don't matter, they probably would have been calling a vehicle of a much darker color. I'm not a person to call on an EMT because I find it very difficult to discount data. Now, like, let's take those two sets. You can imagine how a person who finds it easy to discount data in an emergency situation is of great value, but, it, but in a complex relational context, that can create problems because some of that data, which doesn't matter here, does matter here. And you can see that someone like me, who finds it difficult to, to discount almost any data, could, if left to my own devices, slow an enterprise down to something just behind a snail. So when we're looking at our weaknesses, it is not always that easy to see some of them if these things get in our rows. But why does it matter? There's some benefits to my accepting and entering into a brokenness of heart. Number one is rest. For many people, their spiritual enterprise is based on performance. And if your relationship with the Lord is based on performance, then it is founded on fear. And a relationship that is founded on fear creates a very unsettled foundation. David Siemens, a great missionary from India to India, was there overseeing a large enterprise. He had much to do, many responsibilities, many places to go. And then he got sick and he ended up in a hospital bed. And in that bed he thrashed about, unhappy that the Lord had allowed him to be sick and desperately wanting to return to the field and angry at God for what was going on. And he said one day it was almost an audible voice. David, the Lord said, I think I'm pretty capable of running my own enterprise without you. If I want you to rest, then please rest. That was the beginning of a journey in David Seaman's life that caused him to first write the book he was most known for, Healing for Damaged Emotions, and then to have a ministry with a whole, a whole strata of believers who found the grind of performance wearing them down in the spiritual enterprise. A second is increased capacity. I may be functioning here. The Lord knows I have the capacity or wants to give me the capacity to function here. The Bible says he does not put new wine into old wineskins because new wine carries a chemical reaction that creates gas and an old wineskin is brittle and inflexible. And in order for the new wine to function, it has to be in a new wineskin. And so he's doing us a favor of breaking down 
the old wineskin for a greater, more noble, more expansive purpose in our life. A third is it deepens relationships. The absence of brokenness has as one of its fundamental traits control and independence. And independence is only a stop on a journey of maturity is it is not an end. And people who get stuck at independence end up with very harrowing relational dilemmas. And the Lord in his mercy in trying to give us a rich and deep understanding of what relationship looks like will invite us to a place of brokenness so that that independence can be worn down and we enter into a deeper relationship. Well, let's look at a second perspective. Who displayed it? And what happened when they did? Let's just dip into the scriptures for a little bit here and talk about four people. First, Moses. Here was Moses strategically placed by God as a child into Egypt in Pharaoh's house. God's dream was for Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage, and into the promised land. And then Moses got ahead of God's plan, and Moses saw one day one of his own people being abused by a guard, and he killed the guard and hid him, but he was found out. And the scriptures say that he took off into a wilderness. And he was there. This, this man who had lived in Pharaoh's palace was now living in the wilderness tending sheep. And he was there for 40 years. Let's jump ahead to the Apostle Paul who was Saul. There was nobody who was more sure than Saul. Saul was so sure that these Christians were a, were a threat to Judaism and were wrong that he got legal license to track them down and to ferret them out and to bring them to punishment and even death. And then that harrowing event on the road to Damascus where the Lord met him and blinded him. And when he regained his sight, this man who was so sure had now had his entire perspective shattered. Let's drop back into the Old Testament to Joseph. Joseph knew what it was to be a favorite. Joseph had a lot of brothers, but everybody knew that Joseph was the one that got the coat of many colors. His father treated him as a favorite, and it was clear that he didn't mind telling his brothers he was a favorite. And then this favorite found a catastrophic event. His brothers sold him into slavery after considering killing him. And then in slavery, he worked his way up out of, out of the jailhouse into the palace. And then he was back in jail. Difficult, difficult events. Far removed from the vision that God had given him of a day when he would rule. Let's slip back into the New Testament and look at Peter. One of the first disciples Jesus called. One of the inner three. One of the people Jesus spent the most time with. This disciple who was so sure of his own capacity, his own ability to perform, that when Jesus said to the disciples, you're all going to leave me, 
Peter erupted in defiance. Absolutely not. I don't know about these other guys. I've seen some faults in them. But hey, you and me, you and me, hey, we're, we're like this. We're, you don't have to look over your shoulder and wonder, am I right there? I'm behind you every step of the way. And the rooster crowed, and Peter denied Jesus. And the Bible says that when he recognized what he had done, he went out and he wept bitterly. What happened to these four men? In every case, these men for whom God had an expansive vision of their capacity to bless others, these men went through a wilderness of brokenness. And when you look at the consequence of their lives, as they pass through that brokenness, and they embraced what God was up to, they all ended up displaying one trait. Trust. Other people started to trust them. God trusted them. Moses did lead the children of Israel, an entire nation, out of the most powerful military might on the face of the earth at that time. Joseph saved his people from starvation and reconciled with his brothers. Peter became the leader, the early leader of the, of, of the first leader of the early church. Paul was trusted with the mission of the gospel to the Gentiles. These people were trusted. If you want trust... It is a grand illusion to think that you can lead or I can lead someone out of the wilderness if I have never been there. Near the end of working on a PhD, I was doing uh, survey work in a company out on the West Coast. I did survey and interviews in a company that was deeply negatively impacted by the recession because their industry was linked to the economic prosperity of the country. I was interviewing the CEO and then interviewing personnel in the company. And here's a story that unfolded. In the middle of the recession, in order to really try to be competitive, the CEO, who had also been the founder of the company, came up with this idea of a new compensation plan a plan that he thought would be a motivation for the employees to be more productive and would end up paying them more as they were more productive. He hired a consultant, spent an enormous amount of money. The consultant came up with a very complex set of formulas to evaluate this new compensation plan. And then the CEO put it into effect. It was not long before his employees were grumbling about this compensation plan. It had gaps in it. It was incomplete. It favored some departments over others. It created unrealistic expectations. At this point, you might expect that a CEO trying to save his company in the midst of a recession would say, don't these people know who signed their checks? You ought to be lucky. Think yourself lucky that you even have a job. But instead, he gathered a group of his employees together. 
And he said to them, I know this new compensation plan is not working perfectly and in some cases is working unfairly. Would you tell me what it is about this plan that stinks? That was the word he used. That stinks and let's fix it together. When I was interviewing those employees, you can imagine the stock that CEO had. They trusted him with their lives. And in fact, one employee said to me, I know that my boss will not hurt me. Where did this trust come from? It came from a man who in his in previous years had had a broken experience. And that broken experience gave him a listening heart. And they trusted him because of it. What is brokenness and why does it matter? Who displays it and what happens? Let's look at one last one as we finish up this morning. This is a practical one. What can I do and where do I start? If I decide, you know, there is something in my life. There's something that just keeps showing up. Oh, I have ways of trying to negate it, but it shows up here, and then it shows up here, then it shows up here, then it shows up here, and I'm weary. I'm worrying of fighting that thing. I'm weary of the impact it has. I'm weary of the damage I see it doing on me and the damage I see it doing on others. What do I do? Let me give you four, not even steps, just four approaches to lean into this if you want growth in this area of your life. Number one, get rid of the it doesn't apply to me. If you want to increase capacity in this fallen world, as fallen people, somewhere in your life, you will have to be willing to enter into a season of brokenness. I can divide my life into four chapters, and every chapter was preceded by a devastating season of brokenness. It is God's tool. See it as that. Not as something being ripped from you, but an opportunity to receive something that you can't get any other way. The Bible tells us that there are about 300 people in the Scriptures who, who functioned in some way that showed that they were leaders. We're told enough about a hundred of them to see what actually happened with their life. And only about a 30% of that hundred finished well. Were none of us exempt from aspiring to a place of brokenness in order to get to where we want to get and where God wants us to get. Number two, pass this test. You can't choose your teacher and you can't choose your lesson. Part of an unbroken heart is control. And we're often, many of us, all right as long as we get to choose our teacher. And if I choose a lofty enough teacher, that reflects that I actually, I, I get to be with them. Just a, few, uh, just a few weeks ago, Dallas Willard died. Dallas Willard was the philosophy professor at the University of Southern California. Magnificent Christian, wrote many books. 
I once had lunch with Dallas Willard in a pub in Canterbury, England. I don't mind learning from Dallas Willard because once I've learned something, I can tell someone else, oh yeah, yeah, we're, me and Dallas, yeah. But you know one of the irritants of my life is that God doesn't pay all that much attention, attention to me about who I want to be my teacher. He picks them. And sometimes they are picked for the very reason that he wants to know if I'm willing to listen or if I'm going to salve my pride. And often I'm willing to say, hey, I want to grow here and here and here. And God says, no, no, this thing here under the blankets here, this is the one. This is the lesson I want you to learn. You can't pick your teacher and you can't pick your lesson. Number three. I def identify your default mechanism when people get too close to your issue. People get too close to some of the issues that are really at the core. We got a, a series of them. Let me give you ten real quick. Number one, excuses. What? Yeah, but I'm, that's how I am when I'm tired. Number two, blame. I could be a lot better if you were a lot better. Number three, Ignore. Listen, I'm, I'm busy. I don't have any time for this navel-gazing. Number four, anger. You want to bring that up? Fine. We'll just up the temperature for all of us. Number five, defensiveness. Number six, increased effort. I'll just work harder and I'll show you. Number seven, compartmentalization. How bad can it be? I'm good here. I'm good here. I'm good here. Really? This can't be that bad. Number eight, withdraw. Fine, you're going to bring that up, I'm out of here. Number nine, emotional meltdown. Drama. Ho! Oh, it's tears and it's three days long. Number ten, denial. Peter, no, Jesus, you got it wrong. I know reality and you can count on me. Identify your default mechanisms. And then number four. Now I save this for the last because this is my favorite. Just pay attention. Because if it's damaged people and it's happened here and here and here and here, then you're the only one who doesn't know. Everybody else knows. If you wonder what's going on, just put 10 people who know you in a room, they'll all tell you. It's already happened. They've seen it. Yeah, whenever we talk to you, it's like a hand grenade in one hand while you're playing with the pin with the other. They all know what's that like. It's no secret to anybody but you. It's no secret to anybody but me. The only reason... When the dust is all settled, that I don't know is because I don't want to know. For some people, the desire not to know comes from a pretty honest place. The damage in your life has been so great that you can't imagine that the pain of really looking at something could be less than the pain of keeping it hidden. You can't imagine that the pain of looking at something could be less 
than the pain of keeping it hidden. The Lord gives us all these illustrations in the scriptures to tell you that it is his tool and that if it's, if it's his tool, it has a redemptive, a redemptive goal. It brings not only healing to you, but it can bring healing to other people. Only broken people make other people well. And he invites you not to resist this tool, but to embrace his process. So we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, these words of Paul. Just prior to reading them, I want to remind you of something about Paul. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says, I'm the least of the apostles. Five years later in Ephesians 3, 8, he says, I'm the least of the saints. One year later in Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, 5, he says, I'm the chiefest of sinners. And then he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In the book of Philippians, Paul speaks of Jesus. And he says in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, nevertheless humbled himself, took upon himself the form of a man, and was obedient even under the death of the cross, which was the rebuke of the Father for sin in the world. And the response of this Christ going through this brokenness, he tells us in that very passage. And now, at the name of Jesus, there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of the Father. Brokenness is the unanticipated route to power and to honor. And the power of a broken person is always abandoned for love. Why don't we set our things aside and I wonder if I could invite you to bow your heads with me as we finish this morning. By now, the Holy Spirit, who exhibits the love of the Father and the faithfulness of a Father's heart, has already been speaking to some of us. In a room of this size with this many people, there's some of us even during this last half hour who have had something rise to the surface. Something that if other, someone else were to look at the history of our life, they would say, 
It showed up here, it showed up here, it showed up here, it showed up here. Here there was collateral damage, here there was collateral damage, here there was collateral damage, here there was collateral damage. And you're weary. You're tired of ignoring it. You're tired of trying to work on it. You're tired of how it makes you feel. You're tired of how it hurts people you love. And the Lord is inviting you and I this morning to be willing to move to a place of brokenness over this thing, to tear down the wall, to set aside the defenses, And to say, Lord, I don't care what it takes. I don't want to leave this legacy in my life. And today can be your day to start a new journey with Christ. To let him start peeling away the issues that have surrounded this behavior, this attitude that keeps you from being who you really are. And you could pray a prayer like that right now. You could name it for what it is and say, Lord, I am tired of this. I am sorry for all the defensiveness around it, for my unwillingness to lean into it and face it. I am sorry for not owning the damage it's done. I know you created me for something better than this. Lord, with your help, I want to lay it aside. I want to allow you to expose it for what it is and begin to dismantle its power in my life. Would you start that process today, Lord? In Jesus' name. We're going to wait for just a minute. And if you, if you carry that in your heart, would you just pray? Would you just bow your head right now and you just pray a prayer like that? We'll wait while you pray. just another moment our heads are bowed and nobody's looking around but to honor the Christ who died so that you could be free of what you're praying about with our heads bowed would you just slip your hand up and put it down and say pastor I, I prayed today to give the Lord new freedom to work in my life yeah right here in the center as we go down all through the center over on the right the far right way over on the left here the middle left over there, way in the back. Way to go, way to go. Way in the back in the center. Here in the middle again. Way over on my right. Over by the curtains, you bet. Way in the back, I see that hand. 
Father, thank you for these who just slipped their hands up. I pray that you'll rush grace to them. Give them courage. Give them the hope that you have. What they were created for and who they were created to be can burst out and blossom when the bind the when the, the shackles of this thing are removed. Thankful, thank you for your patience and how much you care for us. In Jesus' name, amen.